0: everybody, Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. I wanted to mention that pretty soon there will be a cover reveal for my new book coming out in November, but I hope you'll consider pre-ordering today anywhere. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Today in the podcast, I'm going to talk about an incredibly sad but remarkable case where the lives of two vets who never met intersected in a tragic way and exposed wider problems at the VA. Today, I'm going to give you some behind-the-scenes reflections about a story I investigated regarding the taxpayer-funded bureaucracy where millions of our military vets get their medical care, the VA. The story that I worked on really began with 28-year-old Nicholas Horner, He returned from three tours of duty in Iraq and Kuwait, home to Pennsylvania, and really was a broken soldier. He had traumatic brain injuries after multiple explosions. His parents told me that one time he got blown back by a blast in the field, and another time he was in the field in a Humvee when a grenade exploded on him. Now, I've covered, on full measure, traumatic brain injuries and how common they are in the troops, how devastating they can be how they are often misdiagnosed, mistreated. A lot of times the vets are just given one kind of medicine on top of another. It doesn't really help them. They get further and further disenfranchised and depressed. Experts told me that since 2001, as many as 750,000 U.S. military service members have suffered traumatic brain injury, or TBI, from concussive blasts. Some say it could be even far more. That came from a doctor who treats traumatic brain injury in troops for the government. Uh, He said that a lot of them go undiagnosed because it is not necessarily obvious. And also, you cannot take an MRI with today's common MRIs and see the damage. It's a different kind of damage, and they're developing new techniques to try to identify it. But anyway, it's just commonly misdiagnosed. This story with Nicholas Horner was a decade ago when it began. His parents noticed that His personality when he came back from war was totally off. He wasn't the same. By the time he was discharged, he had traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder and a whole lot of other things. The Army had prescribed no fewer than 11 drugs, according to his records. He reported even taking the drugs. He reported suffering hallucinations, seizures, depression, anxiety, flashbacks. Well, when he was discharged, he had said he was going to go work with his dad in his dad's business in Pennsylvania. Uh, I believe they were from Johnstown. But instead, he moved to Altoona, Pennsylvania, and he told his parents that was to be near the VA hospital there, the James E. Van Sant VA Medical Center. And that's when his parents knew if he wanted to be so close to the hospital, there must be something seriously wrong. Uh, He wanted intensive help. And... As he tried to get treatment after his return, he told his parents that his repeat requests to be admitted for inpatient treatment, he wanted to be kept in the hospital and treated, but those requests were declined and he just got worse and worse. His mom said during this time period, um, he had guns hidden all throughout his house. This was not like him, at least pre war. He had guns under couch cushions in the bedroom, in the basement. Even when he'd go to the bathroom or was home by himself, he'd have guns nearby, he'd lock the doors because he was fearful of something. He'd hide in the corner, he'd cry. Um, The parents thought the VA should have done the inpatient treatment considering his state. Uh, Should have gotten him in a room and helped him get off the drugs, first of all, that could have been making things worse instead of better, and treat him specifically for the TBI. Now, experts who treat these patients with traumatic brain injury They say these are high-risk patients that have homicidal, suicidal behavior, self-destructive behavior. They're supposed to be one-on-one monitored very closely. So as I'm talking about this story, I don't know, you might be thinking, why is this case important beyond the obvious personal tragedy that I'm describing? But the reason it's important beyond that is we found that Horner was not the only vet who didn't get the help that he said he needed at the Altoona VA Center. For his traumatic brain injury. I spoke to a whistleblower named James D'Onofrio. He was an Army vet and an administrator at the Altoona VA Center who discovered a long list of vets languishing without treatment for their traumatic brain injury. What this whistleblower found out and told me right after a break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're back, and before the break, I told you that I spoke with a VA whistleblower named James DeNofrio, who was a veteran himself and an administrator at the Altoona VA Center who discovered a long list of veterans that were going without treatment or a treatment plan for their traumatic brain injury. He says what the hospital was doing, he found anybody who had a traumatic brain injury in the military went on a list. But on this list, they never received basic care for the TBI. Um, He thinks he found, I believe he said, 600 patients languishing on this list. And he started going through these names one by one to see what was becoming of them as they were waiting without help. Well, he found six had committed suicide and that one veteran, he told me, had gone and shot up a local subway. Well, the vet who'd shot up a local subway turned out to be Nick Horner. So after Nick had all of these troubles I described, he ultimately burst into a subway, shot two employees, killed one of them during what they called a robbery attempt. Then he shot and killed another man a few blocks away after he ran from the scene. And it all happened not long after his last desperate visit to the Altoona VA Center. His dad says... Nick Horner was at the VA hospital crying to them, asking again to be an inpatient, telling them of his devolving condition. Remember, in addition to his brain injuries, I said he was on so much medicine. His dad says of the murders that Nick had no idea what really happened. What he told his parents was that he thought he was chasing somebody who did the shooting. And when the police arrested him and tasered him, he asked the police if they caught the guy. He didn't really know what was going on, according to what he told his parents. But he did say, I don't remember doing it, but if I did, I need to be put to death. And he ended up going to trial, getting two life sentences, and according to his parents, he said that was fine with him. He did it, and he needed to pay. How sad is that? I mean, obviously tragic for the victims, but also a tragedy for this veteran. So meantime, back to the whistleblower D'Onofrio he blew the whistle to his leadership on this waiting list that was going, you know, with no attention paid to it. He gave the report that he says went all the way up to D.C. and he thought this was going to be addressed. So a year later, he goes back to do his own review and finds out that there's still a lot of patients on the list, maybe 100 left, that weren't getting care, even though he says he had identified every single veteran by name and described the problem. And more had been added to the list since then without treatment. Another vet, he said, had shot himself in the meantime. So instead of fixing the problem, and this is sort of a repeat story that's alleged over and over again when I deal with federal whistleblowers, or really whistleblowers of any time, even within corporations, D'Onofrio says, the leadership at the Altoona VA Center retaliated against him in a long campaign that went on for years. He said that he had 18 investigations launched against him and the people who stuck up for him or testified or verified his information. So what did the Altoona VA Center say about all this? Because when I was preparing my report for full measure, of course, I wanted an interview with them to get their side of the story. Sometimes it sheds a whole different light on what you think. Obviously, when you hear you know, another side of the story, but they denied my interview requests. They gave me some written information, a statement that said that the VA conducted an in-depth review of the D'Onofrio allegations, which, by the way, date back more than a decade to the previous administration. The VA wanted it to be made clear that this did not start under the Trump administration. I agree, you know, this I didn't want to imply that it did. And these are new people that are in charge of the VA or at the top, as opposed to those who were in charge when all of this began. So they pointed that out. And they say that the VA, after conducting a review, had determined that the most serious charges were not substantiated. But some other charges were some other complaints about mismanagement at the VA center. But they also added that there's an inspector general at the VA who determined that the VA adequately addressed the allegations, in other words, took care of the problems, and closed its case in 2016. They deny retaliating against the whistleblower D'Onofrio and said, quote, just because someone identifies as a whistleblower doesn't automatically give credence to their claims. So what happened to D'Onofrio? He brought attention to this issue, kept ringing the bell, blowing the whistle, whatever you want to say. Well, he kept his job somehow, but The whole time, he says, they tried to retaliate against him, punish him, build a case against him. He still works for the VA today, and he also spends time pushing national initiatives to protect whistleblowers and to clear backlogs of federal whistleblower cases. There are a lot of them that are just sort of not getting addressed. And then um, there's a final footnote, and this was obviously unexpected, but while I was working on this report, came the news that... Nick Horner, who was still obviously suffering his traumatic brain injury while in prison, reportedly committed suicide. That was last August by stabbing himself with a pen. To me, this raises some other very serious questions. What responsibility do the VA and the military have? Or what responsibility should they take when they return a critically brain injured soldier back to society, someone who needs treatment and is in some kind of treatment? and that man or woman is suffering like Horner, but then they commit a crime. Are they just abandoned in prison, now they no longer get any treatment or help? I mean, as if the tragedies of the murders that Horner committed weren't bad enough, wasn't their responsibility to treat him in prison and give him any help possible? Does the responsibility to track and help veterans end if they get arrested, or should that responsibility escalate and really kick in because the possibility is that they took the life of a man who had no issues and performed admirably through most of his military career and because of his injury, you know, destroyed his life, but then kind of dumped him into society without the help he needed. And then when the system failed him and he ended up in prison, it looks like they just washed their hands of him altogether. I wonder how many vets go to prison for crimes committed in the fog of their brain injuries and medication. If you want to watch this story and see interviews with Horner's parents and the whistleblower D'Onofrio, you can watch it, uh, the replay right now. It's already aired on TV, but you can go to fullmeasure.news, fullmeasure.news, and watch a replay of the segment and watch the program anytime at the website. Also, you can watch Full Measure live or on replays through the app Stir S-T-I-R-R. Very sad, but something important to think about. I hope you found today's podcast informative, and don't forget to subscribe to Full Measure After Hours. Leave a review and share it. That's how it gets distributed and how it grows. Also, consider listening to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, my other podcast. Right now on the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, I'm talking about the subject of information manipulation online and tactics being used that you might not have thought about. If you like my podcast, you will love my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Support independent journalism and pre-order Slanted anywhere today. Do your own research. Make up your own mind, think for yourself.